Hey guys, welcome to the Welding Business Owners Podcast. We're a podcast are late, but our bids are on time. I'm your host, Kevin, with JMW Fabrication. Today, we continue on with episode two from Adam from Maker Table. I really enjoyed this discussion. I hope you guys do too. And now for the housekeeping part. If you guys haven't liked us yet, find us on Instagram at the Welding Business Owners Podcast. Actually, it's Welding Business Owners Podcast. There's no the in there. I don't know why I keep doing it. Anyway, check us out there. Send us some messages. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Ask some questions. I appreciate all the feedback. And uh, without further ado, check out episode two. What do you do for field measurements? I've seen some Instagram stories of you guys out there with Fusion 360 and you've got like some awesome drawings. And tell me what you do for field measurements and what your process is to get all that stuff right. Literally what we do is we camp out at the job site and make a 3d representation of whatever substrate we're building on. So uh, we do a fair amount of of handrails. So we'll go out and we will get the rise and run of every single tread on the stair. We'll put the angle finder on it and see if each tread is at a three degree pitch or a level pitch. And then we will, extrude all that out and make a 3d representation of if there's like a column that busts out into that in that stairway or if there's a brick that gets built out past the the concrete uh if there's a capstone uh, above the stringer we literally go out there and measure everything up physically and sometimes it takes um, up to two days to get a stair built into fusion but once we have it in there we can prefabricate with total confidence so we get in the shop and we start designing and you know like little stuff can change and all of a sudden it throws five other things off off in 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 the designer in your math so we can get changes and change orders and requests from the designers and architects and gc and we can make those changes and not go back out and field measure again Um, or even early on in the in the process I'll even take my laptop to these kind of pre-bid meetings where they're trying to coordinate. Um, There was a range hood uh, for Vanderbilt that um, they had a really hard time with on the first phase. They were just trying to get ahead of it on the second phase. And uh, so we're in this meeting. Okay, we're in this meeting and they start waving their hands around in the air. My, My first rule is when people start waving their hands around in the air, to describe what's going on, it's time to pull out a paper and and pencil and start drawing something. If you, that's, this is a great tip for anybody. If your customer starts waving their hands in the air and saying, you know what I mean? Shake your head. No, say, I do not know what you mean. Let's pull out a piece of paper or I even, I'll take cardboard and I'll start cutting up cardboard and bending it in front of people. I'll be kneeling down on the ground, bending cardboard up and cutting it with my pocket knife on a job site to try and understand what exactly they're talking about. Cause I'm a super visual person. If I can't see it and touch it, I probably don't understand what you're talking about. So in this meeting, they start waving their hands around in the air. And I said, whoa, 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 stop. We got, let's start drawing. So then they get on their whiteboard in this meeting. You know, they have this big conference room, fancy whiteboard. I'm like, I still don't quite understand. So then they jump on the computer and start drawing the same thing based on a virtual screen like a virtual whiteboard is the same damn thing and i'm like forget it so i just got quiet i pull open up my laptop pull up fusion 360 uh which lets me give a good 3d representation and i just start asking okay what's this dimension what's that dimension 
And within two and a half minutes, I had a rough outline, a 3D representation of this range hood. And then all of a sudden the light bulb went off and everybody started having a really productive conversation about where the mechanicals were gonna go, how we were gonna hang this, how it was gonna interact with the studs, how it was gonna interact with the drywall, with the tile, the clearances for you know every other trade that had to get involved to make this thing fit where it needed to fit. We now had a 3D model of just like the inside dimensions of this range hood. And at the end of that meeting, the, uh, I don't know, it was like the VP of Layton came up to me. He's like, thank you so much for being the CAD wizard. And he thought I was just the drafter. He didn't even know. I was like, this is my company. He's like, man, you need to tell your boss that like, you need to come out to the rest of the meetings. I'm like, I am the boss. Like, <laughs> this is my business. And he was like, taking it back again. And he's like, can you send me that, that 3D model? So I sent that model out to him and they ended up sending that to all the trades. And that became the coordination, the basis of the coordination drawing for this range hood that we're doing now, 18 months later. So I really encourage you guys spend some time learning 3D CAD, whether it be SketchUp or Fusion 360. Those are two of the cheapest ways to get involved and, and get your feet wet. And they're both super capable and they're going to help you win bids, understand jobs better. And the level of professionalism you can get out of Fusion renders is incredible. You will get more money for your stuff selling renders off of Fusion 360 than you ever will by waving your hands around in the air or drawing something on, on graph paper with a ruler. It's, it's insane. So it, it does take some time, but I learned everything off that program or for that program off of YouTube for free. It's just time. So that's, that's our process is, is I don't mess around anymore. We just go out there and make a full 3D model of the space, whatever it is, ceilings, walls, columns, hallways, portals, vestibules, doorways, whatever. We, we build it into 3D. Yeah, I feel like you're challenging me now to do that because I've known this. I've known I need to get better at Fusion 360. So we have it. We have it for the plasma table. I can draw 2D stuff. Um, Dave Money Sign has been helping me out. I uh, I have him hop on a, a bunch of calls just to help us through what we got to do. And he's gotten me and Jamie in the office up to speed to where we need to be. But I know to really take it to the next step and to really get good shop drawings, I need to get better. I need to get better in the 3D space. And um, I, I agree with you. I think Fusion 360 is really where it's at with, with the, as far as, you know, uh, I was I was always told SketchUp is good, but if you're going to take the time to learn something, learn Fusion 360 because it's going to be so much more powerful uh, in the long run. You know what I mean? It's going to scale with you in your business. Mm -hmm. Have you got into the sheet metal module in Fusion yet? A little bit. I don't really use it much because we don't do a whole lot of bending. Um, well, I take that back. We do do bending, but it's not super precise as in like we have the old, like our back gauge is made out of plywood. So um, it's not super precise. And uh, so, no, I have not gotten into that too much. I, I, know, I know how to put like a decent radius on it, but I can't make a box. Dude, um, we use a lot of manual finger brakes still. I got a couple of them here that we use more often than, than the press brake because our CNC, our back gauge is actually, it changes throughout the day. It's a garbage back gauge really so, yeah i feel i feel your pain on the on the back gauge thing but this would be the ultimate hack i tell this to people all the time if you get fusion 360 sheet metal figured out get a plasma table 
and a four foot finger break, you could pay all your bills. Like if this whole thing goes tits up and I have the tools I have now, that's going to be my focus is one guy with fusion plasma table or laser and a finger break, a manual finger break. You could just make boxes, pans, and, you know, duct. Yeah. Easy all day long and pay all your bills. It's out there. I'll add an iron worker to that because I never knew I needed an iron worker until I got an iron worker. Oh my gosh. We bought a Scotchman like 50 ton brand new with like the little notcher on it. Holy yeah. cow. Has that changed? So it's, uh, it, it's, it's hard because that the, between the plasma table and the iron worker, there's a lot of stuff that you can do in the iron worker that you can do with the plasma table and vice versa. But for on the fly fabrication stuff, the iron worker is just like hands down, like notching out angles and coping stuff. And then just, just cut little tabs and anything you want, you know, bending little clips and punching holes, man, like it is, it's been a game changer for us too. So. Yeah. They are awesome pieces of equipment. I love that nibbler attachment for putting nice mm -hmm. copes on angles. Oh yeah. Yeah. And just, nothing like and it. just cutting stuff. Like, Instead of getting out the, like, I don't even, like, I really do, try not to even change the wheel on my cutoff, uh, on my grinder anymore. Like, if I have to cut something other than, like, square or round tubing, I just go over to, to the to it. I just mark it, throw it in either the sheer part or the nibbler part. Because um, that nibbler will do, like, up to a two-by-quarter-inch flat bar. Like, I'll just shove it through the nibbler and just knock it right out. That's awesome. It is. It, it just depends nice. what you're processing. We do yeah. mostly hollow tubes and uh, molded cap rail. So for us, it's all chop saw work. But if you're doing a lot of flat stock and angle, the iron worker is totally the way to go. And Speaking I really want to get a cold saw, like a proper cold saw, three mm -hmm. phase. We're just out of power here at our building. But the cold, that the cold, cold saws are really nice. Um, we actually have two of them. Um, up our way, so we're up in Pennsylvania, and there's like manufacturing has been big up here, so there's a lot of uh, surplus uh, equipment, and we have an automatic cold saw from Scotchman, so it, it like has the automatic in feed. It'll do like a thirty inch stroke three times, so I can like technically cut ninety inch pieces. You just have to keep it fed with material. Holy smokes! Yeah, that, and we have a just a manual cold saw. And the manual cold saw has been a pretty big game changer over our like DeWalt chop saw and bandsaw. Like we hardly ever use the bandsaw anymore. Um, we use the DeWalt chop saw for mostly aluminum, maybe like real thin wall tubing. Um, because with with cold saws, there's there's not like a one size fits all blade. So it really depends. And you know, if if you're cutting rectangle or square tubing you should cut it on like a diamond rather than just square so changing out the jaws and stuff like that we don't really we don't have time for that so we just keep the flat jaws in there we'll cut flat bar round tubing uh, you know anything over eighth inch wall we'll cut really nice in there um so yeah i definitely recommend uh a cold saw because it's it's another game changer um as far as just it's not loud it's not throwing sparks all over the place and it's just a really really nice machine 
Yeah, we used to have one at this rebar fab shop I worked at for a little bit, and they would just put a whole bundle of rebar. I'm talking like 16 inches thick bundle of rebar and just throw the whole thing in there and wah, right down. Eat mm-hmm. through that whole thing, man. It was just uh, totally gave me the fizz watching that. So I've, I've got goals. It's like, that's why I got into this. I say, is I just want the big equipment. Yeah, I just, I, I, I started a business to feed my tool addiction. Basically. Yeah, that's no <laughs> lie. That's it. Um, so uh, you mentioned the Caprell thing, um, brought up a, a, another good question. What is your hiring process like? Oh, hiring is tricky right now. Of course, it's always tricky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for what the do retail you, side, what, what do you guys do? Uh, so, so okay. How about for how about for the fab shop side? What is, how do you get them? How do you test them? What do you what do your tests look like? What do you grade them on? Um, what do you look for in a person when you when you hire them on? Are you quick? Are you, do you hire for long term? Are you quick to hire and quick to fire? What is your strategy with all that? I can start with my philosophy really comes from Jack Welch, who's the longtime CEO of General Electric. He's retired now, but he's one of the most winningest CEOs there is. And he's got this policy of cutting the bottom 10% performers every year and thinking about your business as a team rather than a family. So I've been at lots of businesses where they say, we're a family here. We treat you like family, but you don't show up to work for a week with no call, no show, no excuse, no doctor's note, you're fired. If I don't show up to 10 Thanksgivings in a row and show up to the 11th, I'm still in the family. Mm, You know, that's really good. So the family dynamic is bullshit in a business. It's used to manipulate employees, in my opinion. And I don't like it. I don't play it. And I, I tell my people straight up, this is not a family. This is a team. So on the New York Yankees, there's no mystery why A-Rod made more than everybody else. Look at his stat sheet. It's public information. He's the, mo- the highest performing player. He gets paid the highest. He gets the best perks. He gets treated the best. He gets the most leeway because he's crushing it every single game. And the guys that have to go back to AAA ball, there's no mystery why they're going back either. It's because they're the lowest performers on the team. So that's what I tell my people is like, look, we are here to make money. If you have any question about your paycheck or whether you need to get paid more or, you know, you don't think something's fair about your money, come talk to me. I will never get mad at you. I will never cop an attitude. We will always sit down because that's why I'm here is to make a profit. And that's why you're here is to make a profit. So let's both make money together. Let's figure this out. And if you're a low performer, I'll let you know you're a low performer. And I will give you several chances and I will coach you and I'll give you other opportunities, other things, because I I believe in self-selection. Like if somebody is 3D printing on their own time on the weekends and bringing in these like cool little keychains and stuff that they're doing, like, bro, let's buy a 3D printer. Let's start teaching you 3D CAD. You might be my next drafting person. You know, Um, I have somebody else that I just promoted out of the fab shop to be a, a PM and she is an awesome fabricator. I mean, she can weld all these exotic materials. She came out of a, a military supply uh, business where they had really tight tolerances, titanium stuff, aluminum stuff, stainless stuff, and everything was to machine shop tolerance. 
So she's a badass welder, the best welder I have here. Anything weird that comes through the door, I'm like, Marin, please, can you just, can you just do this? Because it's the only way it's going to get done right. But she's also the most organized person that I have. It's insane. She, her station's always totally squared away, super clean. Anytime that stuff is multiple paint colors, she'll like put sticky notes on everything and have everything lined out in separate stacks by color with the can of paint next to it, with the primer there, with, you know. So like eventually light bulb went off. I'm like, man, she understands how this stuff is, is built and she's super organized. She needs to be a PM. So, you know, had that conversation and, and promoted her. So anyways, I, I, I just use those as some examples of my philosophy and, and the things that I'm looking for. But in the interview process, there's a lot of bullshit. There's a lot of people that want to tell you a story. And I had, uh, this is the best example. I had a guy come to me from another shop who's a huge shop, way bigger than us, does way larger projects, millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. And he was one of their foremen. And he told me he could MIG, TIG, stick, rig, wig, fig, all the welding processes, all positions. He's like, gave me all these stories. And uh, so I said, okay, you know, go out and take this welding test. So our welding test is a 12 by 12 inch square at a one by one inch tubing. And you can, uh, I want you to flush grind your two worst welds and leave your two best welds. So that makes them weld something that's perfectly square, dimensionally accurate, flat and not warped. And then I get to see two of what they think are their best welds. And then their worst welds, it's kind of a setup, but I get to see if there's any porosity in them or inclusions because they're going to grind them flush. And then I also get to see their finishing ability. Mm -hmm. So I get a flat finish on two sides. I get an outside corner finish. And then I get an inside corner finish where people that are inexperienced always dig. So that test right there usually takes an hour or less for experienced people. And it tells me everything I need to know about your welding abilities for the kind of work that we do, because it's not structural code work. We're doing architectural ornamental stuff. Now, so this guy, what's that? No, um, real quick. So, so do you just give them a stick of material and they cut it themselves? Yep. Okay. Do you have them uh, miter the corners with the four? Yep. Okay. Got it. Cool. So the mitered corners. I really like that. I give them a, a speed square, a Sharpie, a tape measure, and the cut station. And they've got, you know, safety glasses and gloves, and they got to have boots and, and jeans before they even show up to the, the job interview. I let them all know. <laughs> I'm like, be, I got stories about that, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, be here dressed to work. You do not need to wear a collared shirt and have your cologne on. Like, show me that you are a hustler. Not I got, me. I, I got guys coming in for foreman positions in Jordans and sweatpants. I'm like, just leave. Just, yeah. j just go. <laughs> I already know you're not the right guy. Yeah. Sorry. I want to see holes in the pocket of your hoodie or <laughs> holes around your belly button of your shirt. Yep. That is like good signs. I'm like, all right, this guy throws some sparks for a living, you know, because <laughs> I, I mean, I do now, but for so many years, I didn't have one piece of clothing that didn't have a hole in it. Nothing. So that's, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody that's kind of grungy and down to do the work. I don't need a talker. I need a doer. Yeah. So that's the setup for the test. But this guy, he farts around out there for 45 minutes and finally comes in the office. He goes, Hey man, don't judge me, but it's been a long time. How do you put wire in the welder? I'm like, wait, 
what he had all these stories all these excuses you know oh, i i mostly stick well i mostly this i mostly tig everything it's been so long since i and i'm like look here buddy like if you've ever put wire in a mig welder once you can open any machine up <laughs> it might take you five minutes you might feed it through backwards or something like you know you might have the roll put in the wrong way or forget that the the lock nut is is reverse threaded you know, there's like little things that you can forget, but if you're sitting there messing with it for a couple minutes, you're going to go, Oh yeah, that's, you know, that's what it is. So that was like a, a big sign. Okay. Later, bud, get out of here. <laughs> I had a guy. So, um, what I like to do is I, I turn all the machines all the way down. So when they go out there and they, uh, they have to set them, they have to reset the machine up. So I want to see how you diagnose and set the machine up. Uh, actually two days ago, we had a guy in there. He was stick welding. I turned, we have a Lincoln, uh, square wave. I turned it down to like, I just, I took the knob and I just spun it. It was like 22 amps and he had eighth inch, uh, 70, 18. And he was out there for 15 to 20 minutes trying to weld 70, 18, eighth inch on 22 amps. And it's got a digital setting on a stick welder. It's got, it has a digital display. Like, it's not even like, like, which knob is it? It's one big knob and a digital readout, 22 amps. And I just, I just let him struggle. I did. I was like, man, he's got, he, he, he has to know. He had, he, I go over, I'm like, hey, you having some trouble? He's like, yeah, I think I got a bad ground. I'm like, <sighs> all right. So I turn that's, it up. like plausible. I tur- I'll give him I, that. I know? turn it up a hundred amps. I'm like, try that. <laughs> and then he was, he got it, but. Um, it didn't look good. And after that, I was just like, all right, man, come inside. Sorry. Like <laughs> you got to go like we're looking for somebody who can at least diagnose why they can't strike an arc. Um, now granted it might be a machine problem, but you didn't even touch that dial. So sorry. No. And I mean, <laughs> 90 to 110 amps, that's happy place for eighth inch stick rod. Anybody that's run that for any amount of time knows that, Yep. You, you got to be somewhere in that universe. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's definitely a good one. I try and I try and set them up for success. Like our MIG welders, I'll leave them at whatever the last guy at that station had it on. Um, Cause everybody has their own little, little kind of thing. And, and depending on how you weld, you can, you kind of need to adjust it anyways. If you want something really pretty, especially with, with MIG. Um, so I, you know, I try not to set them up, but that test tells me everything that I need to know as far as fabricators. So we don't really talk much. I'm like, Hey, what have you done? Where have you worked? Show me some pictures if you got them. And the talking part is about 15 minutes. Really? And then I give them, now I give them an actual drawing out of fusion, uh, you know, shop drawing. Cause that's how our shop drawings come now, uh, fully dimensioned out, uh, with the diagonal corners and everything and give them the same drawing. They're basically going to work with every day and the same equipment they're going to work with every day. And, see how they do and some people have gotten it done in as little as 30 minutes and other people have taken an hour and 45 minutes and it's like it's not like i won't hire them either it's just it's also their pay you know if if i know this can be done it should be done in 45 minutes well and if it's taking you an hour you're going to get paid a little less or my offer is going to be a little lower if it's taking you a half hour my offer is going to be a little higher you know, it's, it goes back to that performance thing. I'm not trying to trick anybody into working for the lowest dollar possible. 
I'm trying to pay people good enough for their skills that they're going to stick around because when you have badass skills, you have options in this trade. You can go places. If you really know what you're doing, you can walk. Somebody else will pick you up and pay you what you're worth. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to deal with is, is we're competing for talent too. So we got to be a place that people want to work at. So we, uh, when I first came out of the iron workers, I was pretty rough character. I was really unforgiving, just mean. Um, and that's what it takes to survive in that kind of environment. And I was mean to the people around me because that's how I was used to being treated. And I, you know, I, I didn't put much stock in it anymore at that point. It's kind of like a football coach that always yells. Eventually it's just like, they're talking to you. Yeah. So I'd been around that, that intensity so long that I treated everybody. I mean, even my office people that way. And that was the, the wrong move. And now I try to have a lot friendlier, warmer place. So I, I read a book called how to win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie. Yep. And that really uh, lit some light bulbs off for me and helped me start changing my attitude and the way that I treated people. And, you know, I, I strongly believe you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. So try and be really forgiving, really understanding and flexible schedule. I think is one of the biggest things that I have here that helps me keep people. Um, if you're late, I actually don't go crazy. If you show up late, I tell everybody I'm more interested in you staying late than being here late. If you stay till the job is done, if you show up 15 minutes late, but you stay 15 minutes late to make sure something gets done, we don't really have a problem unless it's like every day and it's just habitual and you can't, you can't rely on them for like really important stuff. But day to day for production, it's not totally required that they be here at you know, 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. exactly on the dot. It doesn't change the output for the day. I, I'm really results oriented. So if you're going to stay until the job is done, that speaks way louder than you showing up 15, 20 minutes late. And I think more people die on the drive to and from work than they do at the job. So I don't want you rushing to come in here. I mean, we just had a guy flip his car over yesterday on the, on the drive in. Luckily, he's okay. Uh, I mean, his car's trashed, but he's had no injuries or anything, but like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. We've never had anybody come close to any sort of accident like that here at the shop, knock on wood, but driving, that's the most dangerous activity you do every day. So, and if we're going to be about safety, it needs to be about all safety, not just when you're here, it needs to be about you getting to and from the job safely. Mm -hmm. So if we get real bad weather coming in, we'll send people home early. So I'm like, look, like, Hey, it's, it's rolling in. It's going to be dangerous to drive home in a couple hours. So why don't you guys, especially the ones that live far away, why don't you take off and get out of here? You got to show that you care about your people more than just when they're in the door. Yeah. So that's part of the philosophy too. Yeah. I, I, I relate with that because, so I live 55 minutes from my shop and dang, I know, I know I fell in love and moved an hour away. Well, uh, but that's a whole other story anyway. So I, um, well, love will do that, you know, oh, man, I would drive two hours if I had to, but well, well, you know what I say? I say people drive a lot further for a lot less. So I'm really not like, I, I like, I, I'm, I'm don't have pity on me, you know? So, uh, wait, as far as snow days and stuff like that, if I don't want to go in and like, I don't, I, I, I really dislike driving in the snow for living in Pennsylvania. I just, 
I hate the cold. Um, <laughs> Me too, buddy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our shop is heated. Like we have radiant heat flooring, and it's not bad when we're there. But getting there, I'm like, look, if I don't want to go in, I'm not going to make you go in. And we have like a five or 10 minute like buffer tolerance with with getting in too. Like, I don't want you to make it a habit of coming in at 715 every day because your start time is seven. But I get it. Like if you come in 705, 710, even 715, it's 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 really OK, because I know that they'll stay. They'll either stay late that day or they'll. Um, at least stay late other days to make up for the hours. You know what I mean? Like right now we have us, we work four 10 hour days and that's like our minimum is four 10 hour days. And we almost all, well, everybody on the team usually ends up working Friday too. So everybody hits their 40. The only time that you have to, that I will be a stickler is when we have to go out on a job where I'm like, Hey, we'll be on site by eight o'clock. I want you there at seven loading up with everybody else if we're not already loaded up for the night before you know what i mean oh for sure i mean there is times where you have to be a stickler but mm -hmm. you know uh safety orientations or loading up to for a job site or just an appointment with a customer that they're going out to on your behalf like all those things definitely going to hammer down but i'm just saying like day to day like you're talking about mm -hmm. you gotta you gotta be flexible with people and and be understanding. I mean, I might be annoyed in my head. There's some, some people that I'm like, that's a power move. You're just like trying to like get over on me by, you know, flexing your nuts and showing me you can show in late whenever you want, but they're also like top performers. So, and they stay late and they have been up at midnight with me on nightmare installs and other people have left. And they're the ones that are sitting there, you know, shoulder to shoulder with me saying, you know, let's, let's get this done. Mm -hmm. So I have to remember those times when it's, you know, seven 30, uh, you know, I had a guy show up an hour late this morning, but he literally took a three day install that was bid and got it done in one day yesterday. Nice. So it's like annoying, but it, he should have been on the job site again today. And he doesn't have to be out there at all and said, he's coming to the shop. So really I need to like, get over that. And there's a lot of stuff like that where I just have my own mental blocks and it's just my ego getting in the way. It's just saying that my way is the best. And if you're not doing my way, then you're screwing me over, you know, and that's <laughs> not true either. Like the guy just totally crushed it yesterday. He's not screwing me over at all. He's like my top performer. So I, I need to have a little leeway and a little understanding. Let him come in on a Saturday an hour late um, and do his thing. Well, thanks for listening, guys. I really hope you guys enjoyed episode two with Adam from Maker Table. Be sure to check him out on Instagram at Maker Table. He's got some really cool stuff on there. If you want to reach out to us, we're at Welding Business Owners Podcast. I personally read everything and respond to everybody. So if you have any questions or you want to hear somebody else on the podcast, let me know. Reach out. I appreciate all the feedback you guys give me. And uh, stay tuned for episode three in two weeks with Adam from Maker Table. Yeah.